Hello and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Sox. And I'm Lori Sox. And today is our 100th episode. And there is this little part of me that wants it just to be an episode. Yeah. We were trying to think of what do you do for your 100th episode? Do we reflect on where we've been? Do we think about moving forward is it a celebration of some sort? Is it, what is it? And I think- We talked about like those 80s sitcoms where you like, they go- Flashback. Oh, oh yeah. you were, and this usually happens in the kitchen or the dining yes. room. They just sit there in one like and we location. Could do, we could totally do that. We, we thought about, um, you know, going through our episodes and thinking about everything that we learned. But the one thing about this journey that I've really learned more than anything is the power of being present. And in that moment. And so that is the gift, right? 100th episode to just be right here in this moment. We didn't think about doing a podcast early in our journey, but we definitely thought about telling our story because it was so unreal to us when we were in the hospital, when we were in the NICU with Liam, how in one moment, our life just changed and all the unknowns of being a parent were just, those were thrown out the window, I think. And I think it was just this boom. And in our hearts, I believe that we knew that that's just, that wasn't the truth. The words that came to us, those, those weren't the truth. It just, it wasn't really matching up with what we were seeing with our son. It felt really lonely. It felt lonely. Yeah, and I, I wasn't really good at wanting to be around people and discuss. I don't know. I, the, my personality was I wanted to just kind of dive my... Put your head down? Yeah, put my head down and just kind of like, let me research and see what's going on and what do I do? But and what then, was the research? I mean, the research back then was horrible. I, I mean, you can you can honestly still uh, Google down syndrome and get just well i had actually talked to somebody just briefly on twitter in england about wouldn't it be nice to be able to get access to the wikipedia page of down syndrome and change if you it. look at the wikipedia page i actually do not know and that would be that's a summer project that, that would be that would be a summer project but somehow it's verified information that's it not feels verified. very clinical and and cold and it's all you know the negatives. But what hear. is clinical? I mean, it's not, I don't think we had our, here we are with our flashback. We had our conversation with Mona Guerra <laughs> oh, that did. was about, <laughs> we had that conversation with Mona Guerra that we went through bullet point by bullet point, everything that we're given, that list that we're given. Now, here's the thing. I don't, I don't know um, where you are on your journey, but if I was a new parent, they, I, like I literally shunned that list. I was like, take your list and go put it someplace else and don't tell me about the limits that you're putting on my child because that's how it was presented. If I could do it again 
or if I could present it to a new mom, I would just say, here's a list of things. And it's so great because now we can, we can actually use that to go to our doctor or our insurance company and say, these are things I want to keep an eye on. This is, I want a sleep study. I want, these are things that you guys wrote down that should be concerns. I want to keep an eye on these. I would have used it as a tool. Instead, it felt like a prison, a cage. Uh, because of the way it was delivered. I feel like that's kind of a change you've made over the last two years and nine, 99 episodes. Is that <laughs> I, I feel like maybe you didn't think that way then. I think you, it was like, here's this list. I don't want anything to do with that, right? Yeah, I don't want anything to do because everything was a stereotype. Or I'm going to go opposite of that list and go, uh-uh. And, and in a way, that was really great because it was the limit part that I fought but I think, you know, there was some baby that went out without bathwater, you know, there's a lot of times I, I'll have on social media, a memory will come up and it's a picture and it's always of like Liam or Sophia. And I, and I look at the pictures of Liam and I'm like, I just, his face is so beautiful and he's so beautiful and he's always been so extraordinarily beautiful. And I know that I did not get to enjoy all of it. Like those first steps, his first steps, I remember Sophia's first steps, then it was the anticipation and then the attained goal and the celebration. And, you know, then of course the concern, cause she's like going to fall down everywhere she goes. But with Liam, it was so, it wasn't anticipation as much as work and need. It wasn't anticipating. I hadn't gotten to that place yet where I knew it was going to happen. He was about two, right? I think yeah, I think Sophia when he was finally, around a little past one. Little past a little past one. Well, the reason I say that is because when he started walking, I remember it in my own mind as a celebration, but maybe half of relief. Yeah. What were we believing? We were believing a lot of the stuff. We were still believing what they were telling us or had told us, although we were, we had beautiful people in front of us that were telling us the opposite, telling us to be patient, telling us he's going to get there. Every child gets there. And I think that I still, no matter how much I said that I was fighting against or didn't believe what people said, a little bit of it lingered. I can say that now, a little bit of it lingered. I I think one of your strengths is positive attitude and also reinforcing that positive attitude outwardly and saying it. But I have to think that there's got to be a percentage of even you. I'm convincing myself. There were doubts still. But I still do that. Mm. I do that. Everybody does that in every different areas of their life. You know, like mm-hmm. you want a job and you're like, you're hopeful, but, and then if you don't get it, you're like, ah, and then if you do get it, it's like, whew. <laughs> you know, there's, yeah. I think we do it. This is just another, another area that, yeah. And it, because it was so important and maybe because I, I just wanted to fight what I was being told. And I think I wanted to fight what was being told because I knew in my heart it wasn't the baby I was looking at. Well, there might be another thing that changed too is that whole proof thing. Proof. Right? Yeah, that was a proof. big thing. That was a big overcoming. Because of, I have to tell you, early on, I was always like, look, he's on his stomach. He's doing tummy time like crazy. Proving and to I'm like, others. See, he can do this. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I think about was just the whole nursing. I remember like, because he didn't nurse right away. And we've talked about that. And then he bumped his head and then he nursed and he was, he was close to a year. I had pumped for a year and I did that like a freaking mad dog. Oh, <laughs> like you put my a lot of job on for one year was I 
I just wanted to have like the only thing that I felt like I had any power was to provide What would you do differently about. if you look back at at how you approached that? Like oh, I would pressured have relaxed. Your, you pressured it was yourself, so right? much pressure. I would have relaxed. I would have relaxed. I would have like pumped in the normal cadence that you're neurotypical and been okay if you couldn't keep pumping, if I couldn't right? produce yeah because I think about this because I had a friend just has a new baby and she said her baby stopped nursing so she was pumping just to provide milk and that was just something that I had done because Liam hadn't attained nursing and I just said you know it's okay you you don't know what's down the road. I didn't tell her my personal story. We're not that close of friends, but we've become closer now that she's a mom. <laughs> she understands, you know, why I do some of the things I do. But I I just told her, you know, just relax and it's okay. And all you have to do is love your child. That's it. That's all they need is for you to love them. And, um, you know, that was the conversation. I said, you know, pump and they make formula and you know you're going to be fine just love your child and I just wish that I had been that gentle with myself and known that all I had to do was love Liam that's really the most important thing but that's to every mom out there and a reminder to myself and to you just love your child and you're doing enough because in that love comes everything that you need I don't know if it's every generation, but I feel like the way we did it and the people around us is obviously people have been having babies since the beginning, but we kind of were like, well, this is the way I want to do it. And I can use uh, this car seat or I can do that. And we have like, this is going to be a new thing and it's not new. Right. And that's okay. But it's also okay to not know and just kind of go with whatever happened before you. I don't feel like I was able to not know. I feel like I felt like I had to know. For Liam, I just needed to know. And I didn't know anything. And it just was a lot of... I, I remember just putting just such a... Um, making it very difficult for myself. And he never made it difficult. Uh, and I remember those appointments, those early appointments, the heart appointment, all of that. And, you know, we were very fortunate in those outcomes. But had I known, you know, had I had a conversation with Mona Guerra, I, I would have had more perspective you know, uh, it's the same weight as I would have gone into those appointments with Sophia. I think that's the thing. That's what I've learned. It only took me nine and nine episodes to really kind of come to there. But, and I think this whole journey, just the, when we set out to create this podcast, it was to answer our own questions too, and to change the landscape of this journey with yeah. information, like correct yeah. information, uplifting stories, which were not available to us 12 years ago. Yeah, I think I wanted the podcast to help myself as much as anybody, as others too. You know, I, I wanted, I needed to talk about it and I wanted to talk to other people. I feel like I would always go to coffees with, uh, you're not always because I'm not that social, but if I went to a coffee or a meeting or a meeting at school or whatever it is, I didn't really, my conversation didn't fit in everybody else's conversation. Because one, when you're talking about school and everybody wants to uplift a school, if you just say, my child has to fight for his place in the classroom, you, people don't want to, I don't know if they don't want to hear that, but it definitely does. It is a definitely a sobering fact that usually astonishes people. 
And I think sometimes people get mad about it. They're like, whoa, whoa, this is a great place to be. And it's like, yes, if you do not have an IEP, it is awesome. But if you learn differently, it is horrible. And it took me a long time also to find my truth. Like, I don't always have to say that, but I also don't have to like stifle. I have a voice. I don't have to give it away. I don't have to be silenced because it's, it's wrong what's being done you know, and, and it was re- really free. We were at a, a yard sale in the neighborhood and some, obviously somebody had gone to the same school a long time ago and they were like, well, how did you find it? And we said it was great for our daughter and it was terrible for our son. And then there was this conversation where it's not, it's the only reason it's a secret is because I didn't say anything, but it's been going on for a very long time, the injustice, but it's just a matter of, that's just what it is. And I fight against it. And I have power in my own household with my son and what I input into my son and hopefully in the changes that I can make in the advocacy. Uh, But I don't have to, I don't have to hide it. And I don't have to always say it. It can just be, it can just be a part. And if the conversation comes up, I can, I can say it just truthfully. And it doesn't have to hold all the anger of the fight that I fought. And that took a really long time because for me, there was absolutely no way I could talk about the injustices without being angry. Yeah, you talk about not being able to talk to, let's say you go to a parent coffee and it's just different, right? You're not going to talk about that stuff. But also we participated like early on in some things that were part of the Down syndrome community. But I think our early on things that we did... I think it, it, and I've talked about it before, it felt like a low bar. It was. We wanted a high bar for our child. We had experienced everything being like a very low bar, like the expectations that were given to us. And I don't think he was like a year old, but I remember seeing it. And I think it's that mindset of fighting that. And I think because of how things were presented to us, we just, we had a fighter's mindset. And unfortunately, sometimes, like I said, sometimes that can limit you because, you know, there were so many people there that we could have learned from. There were people that had the journey before us that had, that we probably, they were advocates that had fought the fight that could have educated us on education. They could have told us what they had done. I think that's what this journey has been. I think over the 12 years, it's like, yeah, you know what? I'd go to that buddy walk. I'd find my tribe. I'd listen to every story because you can learn from every story. You can learn from people who are still believing the limits that they're putting on our community. You know, you can learn from people who advocated and fought. You can learn from people who just carved their own path in their own way. We don't have to fight the school system to carve our own path. I think that's what I learned. I fought because that's just who I am. I can't stand another person who doesn't know what they're talking about putting limits on my child's life or my life. Also, my hope was, God, the pain I I felt, I didn't want anybody else to feel that. If I could do anything to make other people not have to feel that pain, even if it's just saying those people don't know squat, you have rights, use those rights, find an advocate if you need one, but they don't know, they don't know your child. And in finding this new placement for our son, I really even, I almost feel lazy (laughs) because I know it's like how, how we approach Sophia's education, but in doing it with Liam, as in like trusting the people that are supporting him and his teacher who is amazing and lovely 
it's been a shift. And well, we've been doing 100% of the work for a while. So now yeah. not and just doing the, the typical stuff, you almost feel like, you know, am I doing something wrong? Yeah. It's weird to feel that feeling, but you know. What, um, what frustrates me is that, yeah, we found this wonderful place, but we know that it's such a low percentage of schools that is like, that are like this school. And there's just very few really great places for our kids. But every place is a great place for our kid. Every place is a place our child should be. Well, should be, Everything. Yes. No, that every place is a great place. And you know what? If these, if people don't see it, if people don't support, have the conversations, the minimal conversations that you need to have is give me the schoolwork. This is what's in my IEP. It's the law, right? And then it's okay because we can do the work and all we need to do is love our child. And there are so many resources out there for us. There's, I mean, the Canadian Down Syndrome Society has amazing educational resources. When we had that lovely conversation with Vaish. Dr. Vicerity. Yes, she was on our podcast. She has an approach to education. There's so many approaches to assuming competence. That's what we do. Assume competence. Assume intelligence. Assume ability. Now, I don't only do that with my child. I've actually started to take that into the outside world. And my life has gotten like exponentially better because every person I meet, I assume ability, capability, kindness. I just assume those things because I think for so long I assumed the other. And then that seeped into my life, right? I assumed everybody was going to judge my child. I assumed that this was going to be hard. I assumed that this was going to be a fight. And after that conversation, I just said, you know, I'm just going to, it's working for my son to assume I started to assume even more so Liam's ability because as soon as I make a change, I have to like look and go, oh, was I assuming? And you know what? It's not always true. I can say we support Liam. We do this. He does the work. He always meets every challenge. But was I assuming he would meet that challenge? Was I just knowing it? Because I think if I did know it, I don't think I'd fight so hard. I don't think it would be frustrating. I think I would be like, okay, well, we're going to do this. And now we're going to do this. And oh, let's talk about that. And I think it would be so much more ease in my life. It changes the way you talk to people. It changes the way you approach life, the way you take on a task, the way you work and relationships, friendships. And it's another way that Liam changed our life, right? How would I have ever gotten to that point until I saw how important it is, what we assume, what we expect of others? He taught me that. 12 years, he taught me that. I could have said 12 years ago, I always expect the best. But I mean, were those real words? Were they hollow? I think they were hollow because I expected the best, but did I? But I do now. I do. And that that, that comes from Liam. Give me that on a piece of paper when he's born. Oh, on the list? (laughs) Give me that on the list. You will understand what expectations are and what they mean and their impact. And you will transform your own life. That should be on that list. I remember leaving the hospital. I remember turning off that machine that beeped for 75 days. And I, I remember like we were making a video to take home and whoever was holding the camera 
at the time because it wasn't on our phone. It was 12 years ago, but whoever had the camera missed that. And I, and I was just like, wait, will you turn it back on so we can get that moment, how it goes from that noise to the silence? I think that's part of the journey too. The 100 episodes and the 12 years when the noise of everything that's there, the lists and the opinions and the challenges, when all that noise settles and is turned off for the silence of the moment that's at hand and the reality, the truth of this journey. That's really what like turning off that machine, that's really in that moment. That's that's what its its metaphor is for this journey. It took so long, I think, for us to find our voice, to find it in a peaceful way. And I know that was part of our conversation literally two years ago in our first interview with Mei Zen. She was talking about the fight and she was talking about having that peace. And I just remember it was so obscure to me that advocating was just showing up. And I think over the last two years, I've really seen what she meant by that. About you know, like with a lot of things, you hear the words, but it doesn't resonate no. until, yeah. So that's also, I need to take that in mind when I'm dealing also with my children, both of them and educating them that I can say something. And then sometimes it takes a little while to sink in. For, for me, it took like two years to really absorb that and what I came to yesterday was, you know, we have an IEP coming up, but it feels totally different because honestly, a lot of those elements of fight are not there. And this is a big one. It's a three-year IEP with tons of assessments. And we're not being bombarded the way we have been in the past because, you know, the people that are supporting him are the ones that are doing the assessments. Well, there's a great idea, isn't it? Have people who know him assess him. But there are certain assessments that do have an element of somebody that doesn't really work with our son. And one was a nurse and she called. And honestly, I just replied back because you're at a different place with it. Like you're at a place where it still gets you like... I get sensitive about questioning yet yeah, people question fresh, stuff. Yeah. Right? It's, still, it's still a fresh wound. But she was going over information about Liam and it had its inaccuracies. And this was the first time I just, I, first of all, I didn't like my brain didn't explode as she's saying things that just don't fit. And I waited till she was done. And then I don't know where it came from. I'm going to just embrace it. And I calmly said, well, first of all, my son is not obese. Uh, he just went to his pediatrician a month ago and she weighed and measured him and you know, he, he, that is not his challenge. His, he's, it's just not his challenge. And for her to call my son obese, like that word in this community, that word holds a lot of weight. So if you write that down in his file. Yeah, I get irritated sometimes when people ask what I feel like is the same question over and over or, or because and I, I want to know how that's going to go into whatever. I feel like they're putting it in a file or something, you know, and it's, because we know that it goes in there. This needs to be Accurate. said accurately. Yes. And it's somebody who doesn't, but she's clearly going over this list. I think she had to ask if he had Down syndrome twice. So it wasn't someone who knew our son. And she said that. And then she was like, well, what does he do? Does he do special PE? And that's an archaic term. It's adaptive PE. It's adaptive physical education. And so I told her, I said, it's not called special PE. It's called adaptive PE. And when you use that language, again, 
it brings to mind a very archaic belief that we, we really fight against. And I'm going to, and I think I told her, um, that language is offensive, at least to me, it might not be offensive to other people. And I, I completely understand that I am very sensitive about things. Well, it definitely sounds like way in the past, like things it we want to archaic. get away from. Yes. To say that that's a special PE because there's no, it's adaptive and she had already kind of disclosed her age and that a long time ago she was go- she wanted to be in special ed, but her teacher told her it wasn't worth it. And I'm already just going, all right, I'm going to find a peaceful way. I'm not going to, I'm not necessarily going to change this person's point of view, um, but she was definitely trying to come from the best place and that was her best. So all I, I gently said... I'm an advocate for my child. I'm going to help you out here and let you know that your language is very offensive. That is not the term for the adaptive PE. He takes adaptive PE to help him learn the rules and how to play certain games so that way he can participate. You know, it's just like front loading, but front loading PE is really. And she tried to validate everything that she said, but that's okay. I feel like I was finally living what I've been working towards. And I was like, that's okay. She's going to say what she's going to say, but this is where I want to be. This is what I'm able to do now. I don't have to fight like I did for eight years. I don't have to be offended by the discrimination or the limited viewpoint of my son. I don't have to. Well, I think because you corrected her in a compassionate way, it also got her to say things like, uh, Liam is lucky to have two advocates like you as parents and and she apologized uh, for anything she might have said that she, that wasn't her intent she said you know yeah and I think that the I think the medical and the therapists and and those services need to just get a refresher course like teachers get refresher courses get a refresher course on the language that you use on terms on how to talk to parents on how to be supportive that having an extra chromosome isn't what it was believed to be a long time ago. You're nobody's hero to say, oh, I've been doing this for 40 years and this this is what I've seen because it's changing because of the parents that are out there advocating and making the changes and supporting their children and educators who support our children and laws that change and are there and people who actually implement these services and supports. What's changing is the misperceptions of Down syndrome are going away because our children are getting the supports they're supposed to have. So that's not like an asset. But I think about like, I, I it was the first time I was able to do that. And how many years I just sat back and listened to people say stuff about your son's special PE and that he's obese and all of these inaccuracies. And either I got upset and yelled, or I didn't say anything. And I didn't have a voice, or I felt just like sad or, and I didn't feel any of that yesterday, because it was just one person using the wrong terminology and me just compassionately saying, I'm going to help you out here because this is your job. And she might run into me nine years ago <laughs> along the way. And a lot of you might already be there. You might have already found this like golden ticket that I just discovered yesterday, or I was finally able to demonstrate <laughs> the skill. Um, but I'm, I'm still on this journey and I'm still growing and, and I'm still learning and so it was a really, really good place to find my myself. And I know that everything that we went through the last nine years with the school system and also, you know, from the time Liam was born that made us into the advocates that we are, definitely 
have brought me, brought us to that place. Well, you're still on your way to that place, but I'll continue to advocate for Stephen as well. <laughs> I'll take the phone calls. I'll take the phone calls and he'll, till he can, but he does a lot of the other stuff. So it's, it's about teamwork. We're, we're a good team and, and I'm happy to have that because things are going to be what they are and they might not be perfect and they might not be the way I want them to be. And then again, they might, they might be exactly how I want them to be. They might be totally perfect, but I can get through either situation is what I learned yesterday. And it makes me a better human in all areas of my life. That's the gift that Liam is. I, I think about the strength, like when she said, oh, he's so lucky to have advocates like you. That's, that's a false statement. We are fortunate to have a son like Liam. We're fortunate to have Liam as a son. We're fortunate to have Sophia as a daughter too, but we're fortunate in this conversation when people look at us and say, you're strong or... What I'd like to say, which is not my job to say, is the strength that you're talking about, yes, I'm strong, but it's not the way you're talking about it. I'm not strong because of any noble deed that I'm doing by raising my son. That is a gift. Both of my children are gifts. The strength that is misperceived is the strength that comes from Liam's strength, from seeing his strength of spirit and determination. It comes from the compassion that I've developed in the fight for change, talking to people and their lack of knowing about what Down syndrome really is. The strength comes from that fight for his education, not because my son has an IEP, but because I've learned how to sit in a room with people who don't believe in my son or me, because I am an extension of my son, I can sit in a room of no's and still proceed on my path. I don't need to control it. I can be in a non-preferred activity. And, you know, seven out of 10 times, I'm going to respond appropriately. With minimal prompts. With minimal prompts. If you know, you know. Um, I take that into my life too. Mm -hmm. Any relationship, it really is a gift to be able to accept, to see, to accept, and to continue to change, to fight for change, to advocate. You know, with every fight that we fight, we understand that we are not the only ones. And sometimes that's really what carries us is that, you know, that we're doing it for the community. We're doing it for others. We're doing it for just change for life, for humanity. I feel like I see people better, that I actually see the people in my life and I take time to listen and wait for their words and appreciate those words. I appreciate the words that I'm hearing. And I do that for Liam too. I appreciate everywhere. I thank him sometimes when he talks to me because we've been working on conversations and I'll say, and he'll talk to me and I'll say, thank you so much for your words, Liam. I love when you share your words with me and I mean it. And I don't even know if I ever slowed down to that point before. I think I was in such a hurry before Liam. I'm getting better with the unknown. It's always been very scary, especially right when he was born. And just that unknown was so like a, an elephant on my chest because there was so much fear there, but I'm getting so much better with the unknown 
like just bringing me back into right now that I don't know. And then I think, what did I ever know? <laughs> like, what did I ever know? Uh, and I'm getting better with, although you probably won't agree with me, Stephen, with not having to control anything or thinking that I have control or the need for the control. I feel like I'm, I always want to control things. I always feel that. And that's how Liam's taught us about life or taught me about life because, man, none of it's in your control and that's okay. You just, you just do it, just right? Do it. And then the outcome, you see what comes next. It's, it's almost- You can't live like, in the moment and want to be controlling it. Right. I, I have my intentions and then I do that action and we see what's next. And you know, it's funny because it's like, uh, this is what I'm teaching him. And I think Sophia is so much happier because uh, in the last couple of years when I've really been embracing this, you know, I apply it to her too. And I see uh, less stress. I see more communication. I I feel like whatever pressure that I'd put on myself, you know, and, and put on her, like without that pressure, it's just like, it's not, there's not a weight there. The circumstance doesn't change, which, you know, you're still like have your day and you go and I go through my day and I figure out what's next or how I'm going to do something. And I have a list that I have to check off and, you know, things to do that just sometimes just keep getting pushed to the next week and the next week. But I've gotten better with being okay that I had to file an extension on my taxes and I'm still trying to get them done. I, before I think I would have just, I don't, I, I, it wouldn't have set right, you know, and this is from this journey and that need for control has been replaced by just an understanding of my power and strength and the beauty of this life. I think I cry so many times during a week or so, maybe even during a day when I just like just sit. You don't cry every day, do you? I see. I get very like just looking and like, you know, just... Sometimes in a car driving Sophia home or like talking to Liam, just like there with him in that moment. Well, those, that emotion that you have during the day, let's say it's like a few times a day. I used to probably make fun of that about people that would say they're so emotional. Look, I mean, even like crying happily at a wedding or crying <laughs> You're so mean. about just, just being emotional. Yeah. Just be like, oh my goodness. Okay. Well, that's just what they're doing. But I believe now that makes you closer to reality, just understanding what the reality of life is if you're emotional, because it's emotional. If we thought about life all the time, we'd be crying all the time. Not bad, like just like just how beautiful Emotion. it is. Like the people beauty. that you love. Like, no, it's not sadness. No, it's beauty. It's the beauty of life. And I think that Liam has definitely enhanced my, not only just understanding and embracing, but just expression and just deepened it like yeah it's life is pretty freaking beautiful and I'm okay being hokey and I'm okay saying that it's beautiful because I, I live it and my life is beautiful and my life is beautiful for a lot of reasons but one of those reasons are is a reason that most people go oh <laughs> and they're so wrong and I'm so fortunate and I wish that was on the list those are the things that belong on that list of things that they give parents and caregivers with a diagnosis of Down syndrome. Some of those things, all of those things belong on that list. And then maybe the health concerns that they have would be embraced like, oh, thanks, you're trying to help me because we don't want to squander this beautiful gift. So how can we best support this life? And besides that, it's a beautiful, beautiful ride. 
think that's what I've learned over the last 12 years and 100 episodes of this podcast. It's a really beautiful ride. And I'm so thankful for it. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod. And you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod. Or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Amazon.